In many adventures that we read through um, literature and we watch in movies, there's always this moment as we begin to travel where we come to a place where there's a, a respite, a place of pause. Maybe in The Hobbit it's, it's Rivendale, or perhaps in Narnia it's Aslan's tent. When we're coming upon um, Star Wars, it's sitting around on Yavin 5, right? There's all these locations on their adventures. They stop, they reflect, they look back, and they look forward. Hey, that's what Father's Day is for all of us on a father's adventure, right? As dads, we're getting into these regular days where we get to rest for a minute, stop being dads for one whole day. Everybody gets to serve us and pamper us and give us presents and tell us how awesome we are. You know, it's like Mom's Day, right? Okay, moms are all saying no way. No, but anyway, the point is that on that day, actually, it's an awesome opportunity, dads. I hope you're being remembered for what you've brought to your families, for what's going on in your lives. But also it's a day for us to sit back, reflect, and think about, hey, you know, what else is coming? Where am I going? What is my life about? What is my fatherhood about? And so these moments are important. And these moments are a lot like our adventure with the gospel. See, we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been looking at Paul's adventure with the gospel, and we're watching him as he's marching towards Rome. And we've come to the end of the beginning. This will be the end of that gospel presentation, but it's only the beginning for the rest of us. It's our adventure to take from here. It's our adventure to get moving on now. And so, Paul has come to his respite. He's been traveling and traveling, and finally now he's come to Jerusalem. That's right, this location, it said in verse 17, when we'd come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. But here's what we're looking at now. He's come into this place in Jerusalem, and now he's going to engage with the brothers there to begin to have a conversation. But this conversation is going to be good and it's going to be bad. It's a time to reflect back and celebrate, but it's a time to look forward and see what may be coming. And so as he gets in there, he sits down with these men, he begins to talk to them, and what they do is they begin to take this rest, but this moment, just like any Father's Day we celebrate, he began to celebrate too. And we can see this here in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 18 through 26. You want to grab your Bibles and open up there. We can see where Paul's at. We can see this respite. And we're going to begin with this conversation as we see Paul, first and foremost, celebrate what God has been doing through his ministry. In fact, here's what we see. When we celebrate uh, and these respites, we must celebrate the fruit of the gospel as well. Here he says this. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. You know, this is a powerful passage because in our current hustle and bustle, our, our running back and forth kind of culture, we forget that there's time where we need to stop and we need to celebrate. We need to stop and we need to listen. Um, my problem, my habit often is, even here amongst uh, the ministry, the staff and stuff, is something great will happen. We'll be like, yay, all right, next thing, go, go, go. And there's no time to just stop and consider what God has done. For many years, I've heard from missionaries um, about their, their travels and them coming back. And um, even those who go on, say, like short-term exploration ministries, uh, 
trips over overseas and things like that. What will often happen is they come home and people go, so how's it over there? And they try to answer and they get about one sentence in to where somebody just goes, that's awesome, great job, and just walks on. I've had it happen, I was in Berlin, had this awesome two week experience where we were praying for people and had this great opportunity to talk to two Muslim men and, and just this deepening of opportunities were all there. I was so ready to tell the stories and outside of my family, even as one of the pastors, all I got out was, yeah, it was awesome. And they'd go, that's great, I'm glad you're back safe and they'd walk on. What we need to do is we need to pause, we need to be able to tell each other the things that God has been doing. We need to celebrate, like I said, the fruit of the gospel. We need to celebrate what God's been up to. Again, he says that he related it one by one, the things of God, and when they heard it, they glorified God. So when are you relating the things God is doing in your life with the gospel? When are you pausing long enough to celebrate what God has been doing, either because of what you learned this week through the scriptures, or, you know, where did you grow in an opportunity that you took, maybe you shared the gospel with someone and, you're, and you saw them actually give, uh, give kind of a step towards the gospel or a step towards Christ. Maybe they even gave their life to Christ. When do you share those things? There are lots of opportunities to find these respites, to find these moments, to speak about them. In some cases, we hope that your small groups are those cases where you get to sit down after being challenged for several weeks from the scripture that you begin to challenge each other and share with each other what God's been doing. Answered prayers, you know, all of those things I've already mentioned. And when you share it with each other, you know what? It builds each other's faith. It gets you encouraged. Maybe it simply isn't enough that you, you email some of these awesome stories to the church so that we're able to celebrate it here online or celebrate it in person so we can talk about these stories and, and tell people about who's given their life to Christ and who's getting baptized and all of these awesome things that God is doing. But we need to tell the stories. We need to think of our stories not as minuscule or small, but something that we can hand over to somebody else because it can build their faith. That's what Paul was doing, sharing every single story that we've been looking at and even more over and over, talking through these things and sharing with these things. You know, dads, even at your dinner table, you can spend one day out of the week and just say, hey, this is what God's been teaching me or this is what God's done for me. Where have you seen God show up? And ask your children, ask your wife, ask those who are living in your home and watch what God begins to do. Because often what happens after we've done this, yeah, we glorify God, we celebrate, we stop and we say, God, you're amazing, this is incredible, look at what you're doing. And when we celebrate, it may be we wanna sing a song, it may be we wanna pray, it may be that, hey, we wanna have a barbecue. That's what we've been trying to do with you know, some of our missionaries who come home. We wanna set it up so they can tell their stories, have questions answered, and just celebrate together. And this is an awesome opportunity to just celebrate what God is doing. And as we look at these things, we want to get engaged with glorifying God through celebration. In those Sundays, in those small groups, in those meals, wherever you find it, we need to have those moments of celebration. Because here's the thing, what you celebrate is what you'll replicate. What you celebrate is what you'll replicate. You want to see your kids really grow? If they've memorized the scripture, celebrate it. You want to see them really begin to develop in their life? You want to see your small group really to take, take hold of the message and start to share the gospel or love or live Christ? Hey, celebrate it. Because we will end up replicating what we're celebrating. Now, 
It's interesting for me that when we do this, that acceleration takes off, right? I mean, the gospel just goes and takes off in a direction. But there are limiters. There are things that can get in the way. You know, as a young man, I can remember my dad walking several times into my bedroom after I've been playing video games for far too long. And he would look at me and say, don't you understand what happens to your discus throwing or to your, to your basketball game or to whoever when you're playing these things for this long? Man, you're just giving all your energy. It doesn't even work. He would just talk to me like this. And we would go to the game and he would sit in the stands and he'd be yelling, come on, do this, yell, do that. You know, just screaming at me. And I'm thinking, my dad was crazy. What a get off my back. Yeah, of course I do that now to my own children, but you know, that, I guess that's the nature of a dad. But actually what I realized very quickly is that I'm yelling because I don't want them to limit themselves. I want them to go beyond what they're capable, what they're, they're capable of in that moment, to push themselves a little further, to stop putting limiters like the video games on them or, or, or the excuses that hold them back. I want them to set down the excuses to take the responsibility and press forward and keep going because, man, there are limits that can be placed upon ourselves that we don't even realize it. Same thing, again, is true of the gospel. There are limits that can be placed upon the gospel and we don't even realize it. And Paul just by showing up in Jerusalem, actually became one of those limiters. Let me show you what I mean. After it says they were celebrating, it goes on now in verse 20. Now when they had heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. And so here's the problem. Paul's got three accusations that have come. And just as we talk about my dad not wanting the limits on me or I don't want the limits on my kids, so also the gospel has this energy that goes about and it flows, right? But here's the issue. As that gospel was flowing, there were thousands of Jewish people coming to know him. And all of them were zealous for that law. And they say, here's the problem, Paul. They've heard a rumor. They've heard something. That as this gospel is flowing, there is a problem. It's getting in the way. It's plugging it up. And um, I think there's going to be a problem. They weren't trying to be mean. They were trying to illustrate that even though the gospel may go, his presence, because of the lies that were being said about what he was teaching, was causing a limit on the flow of the gospel. And so it couldn't continue. It couldn't keep moving. And this is critical because when we look at this, we need to understand that even in our day, guys, we need to remove the limits that are on the gospel so the gospel can flow. So it can get moving, but there are limits. So trust me, there's a lot of things that can cut it off. First of all, we can just stop evangelizing, and that's not the goal. But there's also this simple reality that you and I have got to understand that there are things right now in our culture that are trying to limit the ability for you and me to communicate the gospel. There are things that are causing division in the church and causing division amongst ourselves or, or creating lies that are surrounding the outside area that are causing us to not be able to use the gospel effectively. It's limiting that. Now, what we need to do is do our best to remove the limits on the gospel. 
I mean, as I've stopped and thought about it, just in the recent months, I mean, let's think, let's realize COVID-19 has been one of those things that in some ways has limited the gospel. It's created some lies in the culture. And I've heard them, man, photos and videos of churches that, you know, just talking about the fact that man, not going to be affected by COVID. God's got me protected and he's got a covering over me, quoting Psalms that don't belong and all this kind of stuff. And the world can honestly look at the church and dismiss the gospel because they think we're ignoring what is a global pandemic. Internally, they see the church divided over all these different positions over COVID-19. And it's not allowing them to see the gospel where Jesus said they would know we're his disciples because we are unified. But hey, instead we're seeing a division amongst the church. You know, there's the situation currently with race relations. There's a lot of people shouting and showing off all the problems in the church in the United States and all the problems of these things. And look, yes, there have been problems in the history of the church when it comes to race relations. But then there's churches that are getting mad at other churches because they're supporting police officers or they're supporting, you know, some the, the, the black community or they're supporting minorities. There's all this division. And what the world sees outside is a group of people who honestly, you know what your problem is? You guys just don't like people. You're bigots. And that's been an accusation that's been thrown at the church for years. What do we do with these things? What do we do when they try to tell the church, oh, you guys are just a bunch of money grubbers. You just want more and more money. It's all you're after is money, 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 money. And these are the things that honestly limit the gospel. See, the gospel wants to flow. The gospel wants to go, but we have to release it to flow. We have to get rid of those limitations and enable them to move forward. And so these guys had an idea. Look at what it says. Verse 22, and then, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do th therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are currently under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. And that's the point. They want to show what's going on. Notice they don't blame anybody. They don't point out who said these things. They probably couldn't have because it was rumors that were spreading from Jewish people who had seen Paul from other countries. And they'd observed Paul probably sitting and eating with Gentiles. Or they had observed Paul preaching the gospel and talking about the freedom from the law that so many of these Gentile believers were from. And in fact, there is a sense that Jesus fulfilled the law, right, that he was preaching. And so in some ways, when you see those accusations, those limiters, they were semi-founded. They were kind of true. There are aspects of them that, they were, that people were seeing and misunderstanding. That's the same with all of the things I've already brought up. They may be semi-true, but they're misunderstandings the way that we see them. And it's our job as Christians to do our best to remove those limiters, to remove those limitations that are on the gospel. And so what they asked Paul to do was they said, hey, buddy, go with these four guys who are actually a part, have already done this Nazarite vow. They've come to the end. They're going to have um, actually a week of purification. Go with them. Go get purified. Pay off what they owe. And that would have been very expensive if it was a Nazarite vow. It would have been a, like, a several animals and a bunch of stuff. Now, this wasn't a sin situation. 
Paul wasn't going to the temple to, hey, uh, go, go, go get a sacrifice and get rid of your sin. This was a cleansing situation in a way, showing the Israelite people, hey, I understand that you see I've been walking amongst the world of the idols, the world of the Gentiles and all their things. I will cleanse myself before I go into this temple and I will stand with our Jewish traditions. That's what they were saying. Show that. Be a part of that situation. Now, what are they asking for here? In some ways, it sounds like they just want Paul the virtue signal, doesn't it? I mean, hey, virtue signal for everybody that you're going to do this, because we know you really don't, but if, if you do this, then everybody would see. Is that what they're doing? Are they calling him to be a hypocrite? I mean, wasn't Paul the one claiming he's free from the law, that, you know, these kind of things like that, that Jesus had fulfilled it? Well, some think he was actually be being asked to do that, but I don't think so. I actually think it was something bigger, something better. Yes, asked to pay for those temple taxes. Yes, asked to be able to be a part of this. But what they were saying was, consider, Paul, that we have a gospel mission going on. Thousands of people are receiving this, and we don't want your presence to make a mess of this gospel. Do something to remove those limits for us. Hey, by the way, isn't that what we did for you? Notice the next verse. It actually says, but as for the Gentiles who have believed... We have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And these are the four things of the Jerusalem council that they agreed upon. Yes, we should not deal with things sacrificed with idol, to idols. Yes, we should not be drinking or eating things filled with blood. Yes, we should not be engaged. And again, I will argue that strangled means in abortion or infanticide. And that's actually what the terminology meant. And finally, we should not be engaged in sexual immorality. These can all be found, as we argued in a previous series, that these are, these are the limits given to anybody sojourning in Israel in Leviticus chapter six or 17 and on. Now, if you want to find out more, go back to our series uh, where we deal with Acts chapter 15, and we get into more details on those things. But in this case, they're, they're trying to tell Paul, look, we are willing to remove the limits on the gospel for what you are doing. Are you willing to step up to release the gospel and not limit it in what we are doing. That is a very, very important request. That what they were doing is they were being bold enough to point the problem out, bold enough to state what was causing a limitation and challenging Paul to make a difference. Hey, maybe for us the challenge is this. When it comes to the COVID stuff, maybe our challenge is wear a mask when you're out, even in those places you feel like you shouldn't have to. Or maybe the challenge is, as Christians, hey, we, we do a slower opening because we want to show them that we're, we care or we're considerate about certain, about the certain people and the vulnerable. Maybe we go and we serve those vulnerable, as many of you are doing. When it comes to the race relations and the police relations things, maybe it's we produce places for dialogue. Maybe you produce an opportunity to actually talk to both sides and bring them together at a dinner and enjoy each other and have a conversation about the situation that's going on. Maybe it's about educating yourself on all the different sides, from criminal to the history of race in our culture, to all of these things so that you have a broad understanding. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to show that we know what we're talking about and we're not going to ignore the division, but we're actually going beyond it to give clear policy ideas, to set out change that actually could make a difference. Maybe it's the opportunity with money that what we need to actually do is turn around and say, hey, here's how we're using it for other people. Here's where the finances do go. Here's what God is doing through what you give.
when we hit these things, it, it begins to kind of rub us wrong. Let's be honest. I may have just offended a whole bunch of you and just turned this thing off and walked away. I, I get it. But I want you to hear me out for a second. Because I think the initial reaction is to go, why do I need to do that? Paul could have said that. I don't think he did. I think he was Jewish enough to know, hey, this is my way. This is the way I live my life. Yes, when I'm out amongst the Gentiles, I may eat something here or there. But he was re he, I don't think he was offended by this. I think he was ready to engage because we see this in verse 26. He jumps in and says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he went and actually did it. He actually followed through. Now, is he being a hypocrite? Is he, or is this just tactical? No, 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 no. I, I don't think either of those things. And yet some of us are struggling. I'll be honest, as a theologian, I struggle because I know what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, right? He said these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Or actually 20, it says, To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. This is beautiful. This is what Paul's call is. But he's saying, to the Jews I became a Jew, as a Jew, in order to win Jews. So is he just being tactical here? Is he just like playing the game? Like, check this out, I'm morphing and shaping and dodging and moving. And so now he's just a hypocrite? What about, because our culture right now is so into authenticity, so into being who we are. Is he, is he virtue signaling? Is he just doing his thing? He's been asked to remove this limit. Is he really doing it or is he just capitulating to some silly rule that these Naive elders have put upon him, as I've read in certain places. I don't think so. I think he respected entirely the mission that God had put these men on. He respected the reputation that James had in the city. And I believe what he did was what he's always done. In fact, in this section, we, we don't often look at the whole context. He's talking about, should we eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? And he's trying to parse it very carefully because sometimes you don't even know if you're eating meat that may have been sacrificed to idols. But he's saying, listen, we don't want to fall into the sin of idolatry. We don't want to go into that location. Look, we are free indeed. We're free to do all of these kind of things. And then he summarizes it all up at the end of chapter 10 in these words. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Look at that again. Not seeking my own advantage. See, yeah, we're free. We don't have to wear masks. We don't have to actually go out there and have these conversations about race relations and all this stuff. We don't need to stand up with any. Look at the gospel. You know, we got, we, we've, we're all made in the image of God. We're all these things. We don't, we don't have to tell people where our money goes and what we do with our money and all this stuff. They, they, can, they can believe the lies, but it's going to limit the gospel. And we are free. We are free in so many ways. And yet here is what Paul is saying. Let love limit 
your liberty for the sake of the gospel. Don't take it advantage of yourself. Paul wasn't thinking about himself, his reputation when he went there. He was thinking, how do I love these men and how do I love those who are watching in order that the gospel may run freely, in order that this message of Jesus as we share it will flow without any intrusion, without these lies getting in the way. You know what? Absolutely. I will go in. I will pay those vows. I will go into that temple. I will be cleansed from traveling in the Gentile lands because I want the gospel to run free. These guys are zealous for the law. That's a attractive to my Jewish brothers. I want them saved. Amen. Let's do it. Hey, I want to see Corona saved. If that means I got to pull out a mask and put it on so I'm not an offense to somebody because they know who I am as a pastor. I want to do it out of love for them. I want to do it out of love for the vulnerable. Even if I may personally think it's silly or something like that or think it's really important, it doesn't matter what I think of myself. I need to limit my own liberty, my own freedoms, my own rights for the sake of the gospel. That's what love does. It says, I will be unfair to myself for the sake of another and their betterment. Now, that may mean that you have to tell the truth in a kind and loving way where you actually are going to lose a reputation, lose a situation, lose something in your life, but you are going to limit your liberty to just ignore it or you're going to limit your liberty out of love for them. And it's going to, yeah, it's going to be unfair to yourself. It may put you in an awkward situation to love all kinds of groups. And it may be a situation like some of my friends who've been misunderstood for what they're attempting to do, but you're going to limit your, your, your liberty by love for the sake of the gospel. You're going to let this love of God limit who you are. Paul always worked this way. This was no difference. He's not being a hypocrite. He's not messing around. He is clearly doing this. And dads, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I say, what? Yeah. When you could go out and hang out with your buds and, you know, go play that game or do that thing and you say, you know what? I can't today. I got to hang out with my kids. I got to read them this book. I got to kiss them and put them down to bed. And I need to, I need to be there for them tonight. Sorry, guys. We're going to watch a family movie. We're going to go to church on that Sunday morning. Hey, I got to be the leader of my household. What you're doing as a mature father is you're letting your love limit your liberty for the sake of the love of your children. Sure, you have every right to go do those things. You have every right to go hang out and to continue to play those games and do those things. But we limit our love. We limit our liberty. We limit ourselves so that we can show off love. It's true in the faith. It's true in parenting. And especially for us, it's true because Jesus did that for us. Jesus Christ, who had all power, who had all of heaven, at his disposal, the angelic beings, the powers of the universe, all his. He limited himself, taking on the form of a human being, coming and putting himself under the tutelage of a young woman, a young Jewish woman, a, a, a young Jewish man, putting himself in a human situation where he had to actually obey the laws of Moses, obey the, the actual leadership of his area. Jesus constantly limited his liberty for the sake of the gospel, even at the cross, where he said, Father, you can do all things. Hey, you can do anything you want. You can remove this cup from me. Then he says, but not my will 
your will be done. Why did Jesus say that? Because he wanted to limit his liberty out of his love for you and for me, out of his love for you. See, God knew that you needed a sacrifice. God knew that you needed someone to take the wrath for you because our sin, our mess causes us to be divided from God and we are in jeopardy of that wrath. But Jesus in his love for you limited his awesome power, limited all of his willingness to do whatever he wanted, to judge you, to crush you. And what God did instead was bear your own sin, bear your sin on him. He limited his liberty out of a love for you because he wanted you to hear this, that he loves you that he was willing on the cross where he died to bear your sins. And if you will trust him right now, you will trust the promise that he's giving you, that you are forgiven of your sins. He rose from the dead to show you that he hasn't been defeated and neither have you. If you trust him, you will have everlasting life, eternal life, the kind of life that just not only keeps going, but a quality that is found in God where it's purity and joy and transformation. Now, it's not without its struggles, but it's a promise that is coming. It's a promise that your sins are gone, removed from you as far as the east is to the west. All the guilt that you feel today, all the struggle that you have over all of these things that we've talked about, all of the examination of your heart, you reveal to you the mess inside. Jesus is willing to bear it because he was willing to limit his liberty by his love. And today he offers it to you, that very message, that very good news, that if you would receive it, you won't go to hell, you'll go to heaven. In fact, even more, God will come into your life and begin to lead and guide you through it. If you'd like to receive that right now, I want to give you that opportunity. You can do that just simply by clicking on that hand and raising that hand and then just praying with me right now. Say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. And I ask that you would forgive me because I trust that on the cross, Jesus Christ died for my sins and took them. I trust that he rose from the dead to give me a new life. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you showed me you love me. Come into my life and lead me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us know if you made that decision. We want to encourage you to connect with someone because this is the beginning. We want to enable you to continue to grow from here. Thank you, guys. May God bless you. And let's drop the limits that hold back the gospel.